Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Third Impact Anime. I somehow am your host, Bill. They let me back be as, as the host. I'm excited. And with me, as always, is Austin. Hello, I'm here. My CGI hands are ready, and I'm excited. <laughs> we might have to examine them after the podcast to see if they're uh, they're still flexible and can uh, can do uh, proper bending and movement. Please don't. Uh, I'm very self conscious. Hopefully, you won't be too self conscious around our very special guests that are from a very good. Uh, uh, Lupin centric podcast. Why don't we have them introduce themselves? I am uh, Drew. I am the host of uh, Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Loop on the Third podcast. I am Emma. I'm a co host of Sideburns and Cigarettes. Yes, and we welcome you to to our our little um, our little podcast. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for inviting us. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited because today we're going to be talking about a modern uh, Loop in the Third special, Goodbye Partner. It's actually, to our great shame, Bill, do you know how long it's been since we've done a Loop on the Third episode? It's been, like, absurdly too long. I, I didn't realize how long it was, but it's a long time coming, easily. How, how long has it been, Austin? I think the last one we did was Bye Bye Lady Liberty, and we did that when Monkey Punch passed away. Whoa, three years ago. Exactly. That was pre-pandemic. That was basically a different mm-hmm. lifetime. Oh, the oh trust times. me, it, 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 it was a different lifetime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, that, that just goes to show just how uh, things have changed, not just in the real world, but in the, uh, in the Lupin world. We finally got a reprinting of some of monkey punch's uh uh lupin manga chapters mm-hmm. in a collected mm-hmm. volume put out by seven seas so mm-hmm. and you are a you are a prophet bill because you talked about that in that episode and you were specifically hoping that seven seas got it because they had recently put out devil man and cutie honey the only reason i know that is because i went back and listened to portions of that episode <laughs> in preparation for this podcast oh man that's like when drew uh <laughs> guess the uh successor to kobayashi like in 2017 oh Oh, yes i i it was just kind of an offhanded tweet in 2017 where i said something to the effect of you know one day when kobayashi passes i would like to see uh akio otsuka take up the mantle because i think he'd be great for it i just kind of like did it offhand Mm. and uh was kind of blown away when that ended up being the case last year yeah (laughs) i was like go for the lottery (laughs) That was where I peaked. Honestly. And it's been all <laughs> downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> well, maybe something that is very uphill is just how each of us got into Lupin the Third. So before we kind of get into Goodbye Partner, uh, how did each of us get into the Lupin the Third franchise? Well, I think we've talked it. about that. I think you and I have talked about that before on the podcast yeah. previously. Yeah. I can't remember, but yeah. well, yeah, we've we've talked about it, but I'll keep it short. Where basically, sure. um, the way I found out through Lupin was through a screening room at I think it was Animazement in North Carolina, where they were showing um, Lupin the Third episode zero, and it was just as Discotech was starting to put out the 
uh, Lupin the Third releases. Because at the time, all that was out was Episode Zero and Fuma Conspiracy. And I watched Episode Zero, and I it was a great experience watching it with a big crowd. People were laughing. People were really into it. And that made me go, wow, that was awesome. I need to find out about more about this uh, <laughs> series. And so uh, after that screening, I went to the dealer's room and picked up Episode Zero and Fuma Conspiracy. And uh, I've been trying to keep up with the discotheque releases ever since and failing to do so. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) It's hard to do. I mean, they come out at such a rapid clip these days. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Not to mention all their other classic uh, series that they put out that I'm just like, you're putting out too many good things. Yep. Uh, You don't have to tell Drew twice. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Disco tech is the reason why I am uh, constantly struggling for money. <laughs> I love them for it, but. Mm. Uh, but uh, how did uh, let's we can either go with uh, let's go with uh, Emma. Emma, how did you get into Lupin the Third? Oh, goodness. Well, it really started back in 2003 with the Adult Swim airing of it. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, when it was Red Jacket, but I was like 11 years old, staying up way too late uh, when I shouldn't have been. Mm. So, yeah, bad me. Um, (laughs) And I uh, didn't really think much of it. It wasn't really my speed at the time. And then fast forward a number of years later, and Toonami is about to air part four. And I turned to uh, my husband at the time, and I was like, that series has been around for forever. And I just started watching it again. And so that was about 2017, 2018. And then I just like fell down this little rabbit hole. Um, I had lost my job that year. So I watched like all of part two, all of part four, and then part five started airing. And I just started consuming all of this. I joined a specific Discord server. That's how I met Drew and Chris and Natalie and a bunch of other people. Got into cosplay. Honestly, Lupin really like sparked my creativity again in a way that I hadn't experienced probably since I was 13. Uh, so I really got into pretty much everything. Um, and just like immersed myself with it. And again, trying to keep up with all the discotheque releases because some of them I didn't even think would see the light of day. Uh, like Eternal Marade, uh, The Last Job was a big deal when that one came out. Because those were ones that were like kind of in licensed limbo. Um, so once those start coming out and I look forward uh, to seeing what else comes out and just spreading what <laughs> what my ex and I used to call a Lupin gospel. <laughs> so that's kind of like a short the short term of how I got into it. And now I'm a co-host on a podcast about it. And I love talking about it. So what Lupin cosplays have you done? I've done Lupin, obviously. Uh, Red Jacket. Nice. I've done Fujiko. That's probably my most recognizable one. I usually post her. Um and I've done like all different cuts of outfits from her. I've done her um, cat suit. 
I've done a pink dress. I've done just like variations of like a gold dress. I've done a bikini <laughs> before. Um, I've done like just a number of different stuff for her. I've done like a boudoir shoot as Fujiko. Mm. I've done Jigen, uh, which I did usually as a pair with my ex who is a Lupin cosplayer. Um, I've done Senegata. He was a blast. Uh, I did his part four and part five version with the red jacket. I also had a button with the, the gold star on it that says you tried. <laughs> 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 Which like put that cosplay together. And I've done... Oh, man. I've also done Rebecca and Ami from part five. Uh, Rebecca being from part four. I have not done wow. Goyaban yet. That, wow, that's that I think is about it. Man, you've almost Basic. you've almost completed your uh your punch card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Your monk your monk your monkey punch card, if you hey. will. I'm hey. hanging up. <laughs> I'm hanging up. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh what about yourself, Drew? Oh, well, let's see. So my introduction to Lupin was pretty much entirely a chance encounter. Because um, my, my general exposure to anime was not too extensive. I had a VHS tape of Sherlock Hound as a kid that had uh, episodes that I now know were directed by Hayao Miyazaki, which will be key to this. And I hey, had watched Cowboy Bebop. He's done a few things, you know. Not too much, kind of a kind of an up and comer. <laughs> um, but uh, pretty much one day after leaving college, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go buy an anime. So I drove to the nearest Best Buy just to look at the anime section, and there was one single copy of Discotech's The Castle of Cagliostro release there. And it had kind of rung familiar because there was a local retro game store I'd went to in the past. And one game had caught my eye and it was uh, Lupin the Third, the legend of or the treasure of the Sorcerer King. I think that's what it's called. And I looked the at PS2 it. The PS2 game? Yeah, the PS2 game. Yeah, yeah. I've got that one. Staring Ooh, nice. at it right now. Ah, cool. <laughs> and like, I didn't get it because I didn't have a PS2 at the time. Um, still don't actually, but... Um, that had always, well, not, that didn't always stick in my head, but you know, I saw that one time and thought, oh, that's cool. And it just kind of rang familiar, like, oh, yeah, you know, Loop on the Third. I've seen that title around. I'm going to grab this. It looked really fun and everything. And I immediately fell in love with that movie. Uh, one big reason is because since it was Miyazaki's first feature film, and I had that Sherlock Hound VHS tape as a kid. It has that kind of same general aesthetic, which just felt like a really nice warm blanket that reminded me of, you know, being six years old and watching that tape on repeat. And so, you know, that was a key moment of me falling in love with Lupin. But the thing that really tipped it over the edge for me was I'm like, I need to look this up. And I looked up just on a whim Lupin on YouTube and saw the first opening for part two, which has like that really classic jazzy rendition of the theme by Yuji Ono. And I was like, mm -hmm. Oh man, I am, I am going to dig this. 
And it was pretty much just an avalanche from then onward because I had gotten that Blu-ray halfway through the uh, simulcast of Part 4 on Crunchyroll. So I caught up with that very quickly and managed to, you know, keep up with it on, on a weekly basis for the back half. And that, I think, was, you know, the uh, the uh, the final nail in the coffin, as it were, where I'm like, okay, the deal's sealed. I am going to be a diehard fan of this. And, uh, oh, no, I'm hosting a podcast about it. So the rest was history. Our podcast really, fa- like, got into the found family aspect of Lupin's, like the friends, <laughs> the true treasure were the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Indeed. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> it's the lesson of every Lupin episode, unless he's trying to kill his friends. And then even still, that's the lesson. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're never sure if anyone's going to kill each other on the podcast, but... <laughs> Not yet. But... <laughs> never say never. Mm. That option's you know, always there. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's like the Lupin gang where they come close, but it never, it never really happens. They stop just before. <laughs> when they have those when they have when they have those uh miscommunications usually with Goemon because Goemon can be very stubborn <laughs> but uh actually that leads to a great segue of uh tell us a little bit about your uh podcast and like how it got started and kind of what's your ethos of it well did you want to ask me oh well I'm sorry I've not Austin I apologize you are, I might as well not even other. be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I thought you kind of mentioned it. Just, I had, uh, Woman of Fujikomine had come out. I got really into it. We were uh-huh. at That was before the podcast started. That was before the podcast. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that was before we were recording. Before we, but this oh, is okay. the magic of editing. See, I can make it sound like you just teed me up in this, like, this like disgusting erasure of your good friend Austin is like it never happened. <laughs> oh, I know that magic oh so well. Exactly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wait. Rewind. Rewind. I'm rewinding time. Austin, how did you get into Lupin the Third? Well, in a lot of ways, and I'll keep this brief. My my introduction to Lupin the Third is a direct symbiosis of your fandom of Lupin the Third, because, and you know, we've we've probably touched on this a bit in previous Lupin episodes, but you, uh, we got to be good friends in college back in the uh, like 2014, 15. 16 type of time frame and we were going to the the japanese club there at school and we had the animundes nights so you and i you know formed a friendship and a bond through anime and i had not had any familiarity with lupon the third at the time i may have known that castle of cagliostro existed in the abstract just because you know at the fan at the time i was a you know a fan of miyazaki's work and working through his catalog but i'd never actually watched it um so you pushed me to watch The Woman Called Fujiko Mine because you knew I was a big fan of Cowboy Bebop, and it has a very similar tone and aesthetic to that. So I watched the whole season of that and thought it was just excellent, and then we sort of slowly got to watching some more Lupin that weren't quite of that flavor. We watched Castle of Cagliostro, of course, and probably a couple other things that slipped my mind now that I'm trying to think about them. Crisis in but Tokyo. Then that's one. Yeah, yeah. And I remember we watched, shortly after it came out on Blu-ray from Discotech, we watched 
at Animazement that you mentioned earlier, we saw Jigen's gravestone there at a screening room, and that was really fun. And then, again, kind of like what Drew said, after that, the rest was history, and I've just been slowly watching more Lupin as time has gone on. I remember watching parts of Part 4 simulcast on Crunchyroll at the time, but I didn't finish it until way, way many years later, because I'm horrible at watching anime. Anybody that listens to this podcast, they should know that. (laughs) (laughs) But that's it. I'm done. Thank you. (laughs) You... No, just every everyone goes at their own goes at their own speed when it comes to their watching habits. I get super obsessed and marathon things too quickly. And, uh, <laughs> and don't I and, know that? <laughs> and, and and you and you juggle a lot of things. So I do like to juggle, but I'm not a clown. I'm just going to extend <laughs> the metaphor. I don't know. Oh Ignore God. me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let Drew take this one away. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, as Emma mentioned earlier, um, I kind of kind of gradually dipped into Lupin Twitter a little bit and became mutuals with folks and then ended up in the uh, now defunct server called the Lupin the Third Gang server, which is where it was a mix of Twitter mutuals I had and people you know I had not met before. Because I think, Emma, we met on the Discord exclusively, yeah. right? Yeah, it was during a stream of Otakon 2018 and yep. uh license announcements, and they announced Eternal Mermaid. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a very pivotal moment. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but um, we, 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 it just kind of happened naturally. Just There was a very close-knit group of us in there, and specifically, um, uh, me, uh Chris, Natalie, Emma, and our former co-host, Jay. You know, we had a really tight-knit thing going on there. We discussed Lupin pretty much all the time. And and at that time, there were, as far as I know of, there were only two Lupin podcasts. One was, uh, one is, I think it's still going, Asinine Lupin, which is a delightful podcast, where I think they started recording talking about part five and then various movies here and there. And then there was Lupin lottery, which the whole ethos of that podcast is really fun. They were uh, reviewing episodes of part two, but like the episode they were reviewing was chosen strictly by a random number generator between one and one fifty five, which that was really cool. But I kind of had this thought at one point, just, you know, no one is going through the series in chronological order from the very beginning. I figured that'd be kind of a fun concept. So I recruited um, Guillaume, Chris, and Jay, and we started covering the pilot film, a few episodes of part one. But then as we were doing this podcast, like... There started to be, especially in 2019, a bit of a deluge of new Lupin media. We're kind of like, it would be kind of... I feel like we'd be, we'd be missing out if we weren't covering some of the newer stuff. So the ethos mm. of the podcast became, as I say in the beginning of every episode, you know, we are covering every entry of the Lupin the Third podcast in mostly 
chronological order. So <laughs> whenever <laughs> a keywords, whenever a new entry arrives, we kind of put our chronological discussion on hold. If it's legally available, that is, we'll um, you know put everything on hold, cover that. Like the most recent example of that was. A very fun, but I will admit, arduous task of uh, covering the airing of part six on a weekly basis. Oh, you poor soul. Yeah, Which... no, okay. So I was only, because I just joined as a co-host like recently. Um, and I had been a guest on some of those episodes, like some that were like back to back, I think. And even then I was like, God, this is exhausting. I just have yeah. to record. <laughs> I'm not even doing the editing. <laughs> I was like, I can't, oh, yeah. I can't do this. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. a reason why Third Impact Anime is fortnightly instead of weekly. Yeah, oh, no. I totally, totally understand. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I applaud you guys for doing weekly uh, for part six because the, the side tangent, part six had its problems. Which, yeah, we're not gonna uh, get into that on this. We're, 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 not, we're, we're not gonna, but but I think it's not. It had its problems that a lot of the fandom had with it, and even doing just doing weekly that was that's tough because for for a hot minute I was doing a weekly review kind of AV Club style write ups of Part Five, mm-hmm. and when that when that was coming out on our on our website thirdimpactanime.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and after like the fifth episode, I was like, I can't do this. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. even though these episodes are great, I just can't do it. I'm just, I'm getting tired because I don't know how to write this and just how right. to approach this every week. So I applaud yeah, I your tenacity. <laughs> I don't know how they did it during the Sherlock art. It, oh boy, that was. Just talk talk about an ice pick lobotomy moment. Like, wow, <laughs> uh, very graphic yeah. metaphor. <laughs> that oh. was a oh, fun dear. experiment. I am not sure if it will happen again if a new series airs. Which a I hope it doesn't. I love Lupin with all my heart, but I would be fine if a new series doesn't happen for about three years. After that, you know. But um, I think the next time a new series will roll around, we might just do a, when it reaches the halfway point, we'll do, you know, a big episode about that half of the show because it was a lot. Although I I, I won't say it was, it, what's the best way to word this? It was a very valuable experience overall because I think it really helped me with uh, my kind of editing timeline speed. Because mm. now I've, I've realized I've become a lot more efficient since then. So, you know, it was tough, but rewarding overall. It was a learning, yeah. ex- it was a learning experience. Indeed. Well, probably the next loop in the thing we'll get is not uh, another series, but the next entry in the Koike oh, uh, set of movies. That's, yeah, we're, we're guess- hoping for that. Yeah, I would they, love it they, if Koike just like remade Redline, except it starred the Lupin cast. You have just uttered the greatest sentence that anyone in history has uttered. So, and and it it would be it would be it would be very in line with the legacy of Lupin because isn't the first episode of Part One like a like a race? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. You could just get Koike to do that. It's like a grand pre-race that he's entered. Mm -hmm. 
if he if he does that, which he won't, uh, all credit will go to me. Yes, yeah, as absolutely, should. Hey, as hey. it should indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's get into uh, what we're here to talk about, which is uh, the Lupin special, Goodbye Partner. The, uh, the main reason I want to talk about Goodbye Partner is for two reasons. One, it's, I think, one of the one of the better modern Lupin specials. Um, and this is, again, in, in my opinion, uh, for a while, Lupin specials were very up and down mm-hmm. uh, when, they were, co- when mm-hmm. they were coming out, when they were coming out yearly. And then for a while, they took a break. And basically since 2011, we've had a renaissance of just usually pretty good loop and content whether that be a special whether that be another tv series and the whatnot and uh goodbye partner i think is one of those and the other reason we wanted to talk about it because i thought this is a really good uh dice kajigan focused type of uh special because it's again uh voiced by the uh now former voice of, of jigan uh, I can never say Japanese names. Kiyoshi Kobayashi. Yeah, yeah thank you. I'm just gonna let you say Japanese names also because okay. I always suck at them. Um, <laughs> your podcast, Jeronima, uh, did a really great tribute episode to him. I thought it was very moving and it, it was emotional at times, but it came from uh, the heart, and uh, I could, I could. Uh, I really appreciated it as a as a fan of his work and as a fan of his portrayal because I can't think of an actor that has been with one role for that long. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think Natalie in that episode. No, no, no. It was someone who commented brought up the fact that the only other uh, comparison they could think of was uh, Frank Welker, who still voices Fred from Scooby Doo. And has been voicing mm. him since 1969. Also, Jeez. I think he's he, I think he's the only other kind of you comparison that, was, that comes to mind. That was probably Chris. Probably was. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had I had mentioned on that um, that he did it for so long, and that in like my life, I had just lost an attorney in the office that had did it for 45 years in that in our same firm. And it's just like incredible to see how influential like these roles play <laughs> in just not their specific role, but just like throughout like the communities around them. Um, and like how much respect goes to those people that have been in that role for that long. I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine doing mm-hmm. something for that long. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it just goes to show, I mean, how much he clearly loved the role and was able mm-hmm. to sort of build a life and build a career around this one character. He must have had, you know, just so much love for Jigen and so much. And it was in, and it's interesting because, I mean, I don't I don't want to speak for the man for sure, but like Lupin is so can be so drastically different between 
uh, iterations. And there's always a different way that Jigen comes across depending on the writers and the directors, etc. So even though it's the same character, the interpretations can vary wild wildly. So maybe that was something that sort of kept him invigorated to do this character for so long. I mean, mm-hmm. that would definitely do it for me, you know, because pl- mm-hmm. I'm sure the idea of playing a character for decades upon decades sounds daunting. But if there's a lot of variety and opportunities to stretch your creative muscles built into that, it sounds like something that could be really rewarding. And it seems like he was able to enjoy that greatly. Mm-hmm. The, the, actually, the closest comparison that I could think of based on what you're saying, Austin, would be kind of almost like a soap opera actor because <laughs> usually those actors are there for 25 to 30 years and they yeah. basically live with those characters and see them grow and progress and change mm-hmm. and reset. So um, that's that's probably the closest comparison mm-hmm. I could think of, of. Or like maybe Tom Baker, you know, from Doctor uh, Who. Cause, oh, I mean, yeah. He's, he, he he doesn't he doesn't play the character in front of the camera, but he still to this day will do the audio dramas, playing the same character that he started playing in the late seventies. David Tennant, yeah, too. yeah, David Tennant yeah. comes yeah. back, and we'll see you know in forty years if he's still doing it, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny you bring up soap operas, Bill, because I think I just saw a news story today about Days of Our Lives going off the air. Oh no! Ooh, like. As oh, wow. of today, I was like, "What? What?" <laughs> oh no! Wow. The en- the end times are upon us, folks. Yeah, seriously, that's <laughs> like that's like the Waffle House metric of TV. Is if days of our lives goes away. Uh, well, next, you're going to scare me and say Price is Right is going away. Then, then I oh. think it's Ooh. the end times. They, the they, end ta- times. they take off the, the uh, syndicated. Well, jokes, like yeah. Oh, so they say have the syndicated reruns of Golden Girls. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's get into the plot of Goodbye Partner. So, Goodbye Partner is one of the examples of a loop in the third story taking place in modern times. Some fans really like it because it's novelty and other fans are not a big fan of it. Uh, we'll probably get into that. Um, question later in our discussion but in this story uh, Lupin is chilling on a beach uh, just kind of enjoying some R&R when he learns that uh, Zenigata uh, Inspector Zenigata his longtime uh, rival slash um, arch enemy in quotation marks um, is arrested and he learns that the way it's the reason why he's arrested is because um, they report that he had helped Lupin uh, pull off all his heists. Um, Lupin is indignant by this and uh, gets uh, caught into stealing this crystal uh, that's this major energy source. But what Lupin doesn't know is that there is a man by the name of Ray Forrest who... That sounds like a soap opera character name. Uh, <laughs> is manipulating uh, him behind the scenes and uh, in trying to do his own scheme. In the midst of uh, Ray Forrest doing his own scheme, he is able to get 
uh, Jigen to go against Lupin for reasons we learn later in the story. And uh, Ray Forrest, like a lot of these Lupin villains, is a very wealthy man, kind of like a tech billionaire, but also a politician. He is very close to a president of the United States that is totally not Hillary Clinton whatsoever. <laughs> totally uh, not. <laughs> mm, totally not. I think they were trying to predict the election when this was uh, coming out, <laughs> coming out uh, before 2016. Uh, but uh, it's so uh, and his grand scheme is he is trying to get this uh, crystal in order to power this super AI computer in order to steal all the money and all the currency across the world. It's almost like they saw one section of the James Bond movie Goldeneye and said, hey, remember uh, the whole bit about is about him trying to steal the money from the Bank of London through uh, cyber technology? Let's do that without the EP stuff. it's a good comparison thank you uh and of course uh lupin recruits goemon because uh goemon is trying to see if his uh sword is worthy enough to uh just to uh cut this crystal or not and of course fujiko is up to her uh femme fatale a feminine wiles, as per usual, palling around with our villain. Uh, uh, slight addendum to that. Slight addendum to that, because Lupin basically manipulates Goemon into joining him on this crusade by saying, hey, you get the chance to cut a really hard rock. Aren't you excited? And that's like the whole reason why he joins on for the adventure, which I love. Same. Go, Goemon is a very simple man. Uh, <laughs> he he enjoys the simple things in life. Uh, he, he probably would get along very well with the Amish. <laughs> he has his priorities in order. <laughs> exactly. He knows what he wants to do. He wants to train, and he wants to find something that he cannot cut. Which, up, yes. to, this, up to this point... Uh, has not happened yet so everything he cuts is worthless uh, <laughs> to himself and his sword uh, but uh yeah there's a lot of modern references like there's an edward snowden equivalent uh that's kind of used as backstory and of course lupin the third always loves its history so they bring in the famous composer Ch- uh, chopin as a kind of a a part of the story but we will probably get into the story after we get into our production uh, notes and cast list. So on production staff, we've got our chief director here, who has also did storyboard art for this film, and he is Jun Kawagawe. He is a regular director on a number of Go Nagai and Kenny Shikawa projects, such as Cyborg 009 vs. Devilman and New Getter Robo, things like that. He's also worked on numerous Anpanman projects and was the co-director, along with Monkey Punch, on the Lupin the Third Dead or Alive movie, which, hot take, is probably my least favorite Lupin the Third thing i've ever seen 
that is my that is my hot take. Maybe we can fight about that in another episode. Uh, he's also <laughs> worked on he's worked on Lupin the Third many times since the '90s, mostly as a storyboard artist and a key animator. So on the script for this, we have Takahito Hata, who is mostly a live action television writer, uh, and this is one of his few anime credits, along with the recent Prince of Ten. Along with the recent Prince of Tennis film, which came out in U.S. theaters maybe like a month ago. He also wrote the screenplay for an episode of the live-action Detective Conan prequel called Shinichi Kudo's Written Challenge. Do you have any any commentary on that, Bill? Because I know you love Conan. Yes, I do. That's one great spot as I have not watched any of the live-action adaptations. And surprisingly, there's a, there's a good number of them. Like a couple movies and a live-action TV series, but... Uh, yeah. Well, maybe uh, maybe Ed maybe Edward Snowden appears in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Conan did deal with IoT terrorism, Internet of Things terrorism, so maybe maybe Edward Snowden would uh, would show up in a Conan movie at some point. I would not be surprised. <laughs> and of course, on music, we have the legendary Yuji Ono, who is the classic composer behind pretty much the totality of the Lupin the Third franchise. He's back for this as well. The character design and chief animation. Go ahead, Bill. I was just going to say, I think that's basically the one constant of every Lupin the Third project is Yuji Ono and his band. Uh, We'll do uh, either new music or variations of his classic Lupin the Third music. It's all great. And I love that he is a constant and that he's always kind of been with the series. So mm. uh, I'll consult my Lupin brain trust here. Did he also do the music for Cagliostro or did they let Hisaishi do that? Uh, that was uh, Yuji Ono doing uh, Cagliostro. Oh. Okay, gotcha. Which was, I think, the first time he had done music for a Miyazaki Lupin because the very first series soundtrack is composed by uh, Takeo Yamashita, who he did uh, mm. the part one series. <laughs> what a okay. Great, what a great soundtrack. It rules. <laughs> well, thank, well, thank you for correcting the record on that one. Thank you. Uh, we also have uh, character designs and the chief animation director is Hirotaka Marufuji. He, of course, did character designs and chief animation on Lupin the Third Prison of the Past, as well as serving as a key animator on The Last Job. He also worked as a key animator and animation director on Macross Frontier, something we did a podcast on fairly recently. And our friends over at Sideburn and Cigarettes just did an episode on Prison of the Past. So you can go check out both of those episodes right now. And our art director is Baeom Sion Lee. He was the art director of Prison of the Past. He was the art director on Lupin the Third Part 6. He also worked on Cyborg 009 versus Devilman. And he worked in the art department on a number of Precure entries. So would one of our distinguished guests care to read the cast list? I think I'll, uh, I'll take a crack at it here. Thank you. So, obviously, first and foremost, we have Kanichi Kirita as the man himself, Lupin III. And uh, Kirita has been playing the character since 1995 in the film uh, Farewell to Nostradamus. And by all accounts, this is pretty much his only role. It's the only one I really know him for, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Kiyoshi Kobayashi as Daisuke Jigen, the voice of Jigen, famously from 1969 till 2021. 
He also played Watari in Death Note, Adrian Rubinsky in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and was the narrator in a number of Kamen Rider series. Next, we've got Daisuke Namikawa as Goemon Ishikawa. He's been the voice of Goemon since 2012 in The Woman Called Fujiko Mine. Uh, he's Rock in Black Lagoon, Narisco in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean, and uh, Yu Narukami in Persona 4 The Animation. And then we've got Koichi Yamadera as Inspector Zenigata, the modern voice of Zenigata since 2011, Spike Spiegel in Cowboy Bebop, Togusa from the Ghost in the Shell franchise, Ryoji Kaji from the Evangelion TV series and End of Evangelion movie. And he's also, most importantly, I might add, the official voice of Donald Duck in Japanese. Every time I hear that factoid, it just blows my mind to know that Inspector Zenigata and Donald Duck are one and the same. But from a personality perspective, it kind of makes total sense. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, it absolutely fits. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it absolutely fits because they both uh, get really angry and blow their lid all the time. <laughs> now I'm just imagining imagining Inspector Zenigata having three identical precocious nephews to have to deal with. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man, that's potential right there. Yes. That 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 was probably going to be in the uh, Lupin the 3rd the 8th American TV series probably. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> oh my god. Let's see. And next we have Miyuki Sawashiro as the femme fatale herself, Fujiko Mine. The modern voice of Fuchiko Mine starting in 2011. She was also Karupika in Hunter Hunter, Sinon in Sword Art Online, Selty in Durarara, and Daki in Demon Slayer. I actually just watched that. I actually finished that season of Demon Slayer recently, and she was incredible. Right? In great, great villain. Oh, most definitely. And she's like that. That's a a kind of terrifying performance so she's she's she has excellent range and then we have junichi suwabe as roy forrest the undertaker in the in the black butler franchise and the new voice of oberstein in uh, legend of the galactic heroes and shota ayazawa in my hero academia and last but not least we have minako kotobuki as elisa cartwright she was Mugi in Kaon, Asuka in Sound Euphonium, and Sarah Farron in Final Fantasy. Wow, and she, uh, she she I can't believe she's Mugi in Kaon. That's a surprise. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure her actual last name was the inspiration for Mugi's last name because they share one. It's both Kotobuki, huh. which is uh, oh. pretty interesting. Okay, that's cool. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, we don't have the notes for the. Um, for the English dub cast, but it's the it's the classic slash modern Lupin cast with all the folks from from Genion coming back, like Tony Oliver, Richard Epcar, Michelle Ruff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So now that we've kind of gotten our production points uh, through, uh, let's go around the room, and I'd like to, and kind of see how we felt about Goodbye Partner. So let's go, kind of a. Uh, Let's go in order of the call, so we'll go with Austin first. Mm -hmm. So the first time I saw this, you know, Bill and I, we watched it together whenever Discotech did a live stream of it 
back quite a bit ago. I can't remember exactly when this was. I don't remember if this was uh, early pandemic or pre-pandemic. If, if any of you guys remember that, please fill me in because my timeline is off. But we definitely watched it whenever they did an official live stream of it. And I think it was the English dub version. Hmm. So that was pretty fun. I enjoyed that. And watching it at the time, I remember being feeling like I really liked it. But I felt immense whiplash because there is so much happening in mm-hmm. this special. There's a lot of things going on. Lots of moving pieces. Lots of like small twists that make you think it's about something that it isn't. Then they kind of undo it. And then there's certain things that you think are really going to matter that end up not really mattering at all. Uh, which is both to its you know credit and detriment, I suppose. Uh, but I do remember really liking it. I, I, I remember the the marketing lead up to it was very focused on the fact that like ah we we have yet another jacket color he's going to be wearing a black jacket this time isn't that cool um <laughs> so i remember thinking that and wondering hmm are there going to be more black jacket lupon entries in the future maybe i don't know uh i guess as we will talk about the jacket color in this particular special isn't particularly relevant but i think it is interesting to know because you know so much about you know different eras of lupon do center around the jacket but i did really enjoy it i think it's a lot of fun it's it's very it's very in line with some of the recent tv series at least from what i've seen and i'm not super caught up i've like I haven't seen any of part six and I've barely seen anything of part five. So I'm a Lupin journeyman. I'm no expert. Unlike, unlike (laughs) you three. Um, But, uh, but I I did, I did really enjoy it at the time. And this most recent rewatch, I think I enjoyed and appreciated it even more. Uh, I think it's a very strong special overall. So Uh, I first saw this special um, through uh, means when it first aired on Japanese television because we on the th- we on the third impact anime podcast call that flying to Japan. Ah, there you go. So yes, <laughs> I, I flew to Japan to uh, <laughs> to witness Goodbye Partner with no <laughs> subtitles. And at the time, I, I again, so it was unsubbed in Japanese. I wasn't fully paying attention to it. I was just kind of vibing with it, you know. And mm. at the time, I, w- I, I was enjoying it quite a bit just because, you know, there's there are plenty of really fun little character interactions. Like, I know I really cracked up at the one bit where Zinagata, uh, Goemon, and Lupin have this ruse at the, uh, I think it's the ICPO station, where Zinagata oh brings Lupin in and he just kind of like snaps like a dog at one of the guards <laughs> who tries to... <laughs> Gosh, that made me just... laugh so hard. And that cracked me up, and the ending was very fascinating, even though I had no idea what was going on with the dueling pianos. So, (laughs) at that time, I quite enjoyed it. But then I, being a good Lupin fan, got the the discotheque Blu-ray. Actually, no, I think I had rented it on Amazon, because it had come out on Amazon before it was released to disc, if I'm not mistaken. Both dubbed and dubbed. You're right. And I have a mixed relationship with this special because there was a tendency, especially with the mid uh, 2000s Lupin TV specials, that they all, 
trying to think of a good way to describe it. Some of them get a little too caught up in their own plots. You know, the plots are a little complicated for their own good. And even TV specials I do like tend to go on for about 20 minutes longer than they probably should, at least for me anyway. Mm. And on this most You've recent kind of- rewatch... You've kind of identified kind of the central reason why I have a problem with Dead or Alive, but mm-hmm. we won't go into that. But but I understand exactly where you're coming from. I, I have that exact same problem with that movie as well. Hey, me too. <laughs> but I, I, that's the one thing about this special is I don't outright dislike it, but it has that air of just kind of being a bog standard Lupin special for me, especially since it came right on the heels of part five, which I think kind of tackles modern technology and strains in the Lupin gang's relationship a little bit better than this does. Although granted it has much more time to do so. So yeah, I think I'm going to be working out my feelings tonight and seeing how I actually feel about it. Cause I'm mixed at the moment, but you know what? With with some conversation and some talking, I, I'm curious to see where I land up on it. Because right now you, you you're catching me in a moment of hmm, I don't know. <laughs> hmm. We'll do some Lupin yoga, perhaps. Indeed, that might be what I need. How about you, Emma? Okay. <laughs> so, um, first off, I'm going to preface this with I've called me and Drew the Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> Of the Lupin fandom, <laughs> <laughs> we're just Boy. sitting up in our uh, our little uh, box, just like criticizing everything, but Perfect. also laugh, but also laughing at everything. Um, I also flew to Japan mm-hmm. uh, to watch this. Um, wink, wink, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge. Um, Got and, a good airfare. <laughs> yeah, I did. I really did. Uh, Travelocity, you know, works. Um. And I liked it, but also like Drew, I wasn't really paying that much attention to it because it wasn't subbed at that time. And it wasn't the musical to where it was just like so entertaining. I would watch the whole thing with the musical. I definitely kind of had an idea what was going on. This one, not so much, um, but I was enjoying it. And there are certain parts that I do really like on it. Um, for instance, um, Goemon and Lupin teaming up, that's a often mm-hmm. not an often utilized pairing. Um, and I did like that. Zenigata is really funny at all times. And he's also a badass. Also really enjoy when both of those things come together for him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. also a wonderful scene of Lupin playing in a bubble with the girls I like that. Um, <laughs> I also and the, they bring the bubble back too. Like it's not just yes. a one-off thing. They they follow yes. through. Right, right. I do like like callbacks like that. Yeah. Um I like uh the Chopin competition plot point. I think I mentioned before we started recording that I did study music in college. Uh and my ex-husband is a music major. So did a lot of study in music lit. Chopin is one I even asked him today because I wanted to really get his thoughts on it. I was like, "What? How do you feel about Chopin?" <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, it's like all right." He's like, "Not maybe not my favorite Romantic era composer, 
but like a good one. There is actually a piano competition held in Warsaw, Poland. Um, mm. Yeah, it started in 1927. It's held every five years since 1955. The most recent winner of that competition is the youngest winner to date of being 18 years old. However, mm. the special has it in London. So I was kind of mm. like, hmm. <laughs> Especially because Chopin is from Poland himself. Um, so during... does that competition always happen in Poland or does it travel? Uh, what I read it is typically held in Warsaw. Mm. Yeah. Well, that just yeah. take the, that just took this special right into the toilet for me. No oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yeah, no, I'm dead here. Um Mo- goodbye par- partner, more like just goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye Chopin. <laughs> goodbye Wuhan. I wish they'd showcase more Chopin's work. If they're going to use such a prolific composer, they only used really two of his pieces. One of them being the revolutionary etude, which is the one that's used when she's playing with Fujiko. Um, Cause he has such a wide base of work to use. And they really only focus on the two. It's like, man, if you're going to use a romantic era, go like Mozart, maybe, I don't know. And well, maybe they show, maybe they chose Chopin because it sounds like Lupin. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's my armchair theory. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. Um, also, mixing swing jazz with Chopin is jarring. Uh, I'm still like... <laughs> I'm hey, still I thought the same thing. I, yeah, yeah, no, she's like, what? She did. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> that was me when I heard it. I was like, wait, what? But like, it kind of works because swing jazz doesn't have like really a, that like set of a pattern to it, whereas the romantic era music does. Um, and for some reason that mixes, but then like the tonal differences are like all over the place and that's even heard. So even like during that portion of the special, it's hard for me to listen to. And I know that like, that is the purpose of it, but I'm like, God, I I can't. Mm -hmm. And like, (laughs) that's go on for a good, a good few minutes as well. With those awful CGI hands. Um, Mm. Oh God! Uh, I there are so many things that I do like about this, but there are so many things too that I just think come up short. And like Drew says, maybe twenty minutes longer than it should have been. Um, there's like I'm really trying to think. Exactly. If there's one thing that I particularly really, really enjoyed out of this, because there's always something that's special that like really sticks out, but this one, not so much. It's like small things that I like here and there, um, but nothing that like I really, really love. For me, this one is just kind of more medium to probably lower tier for me, just in comparison to all the other ones, especially when you have a powerhouse like Prison of the Past come out later. Um, Those are really my thoughts on it right now. I have more notes, specific notes, Mm -hmm. that I call Drew knows peanut gallery notes. 
thought that we can get that we can get into later. But those are my just general thoughts on it. And sorry for my uh, rant on the music side. Oh, oh no, no, that's I mean, really I think that's that's a valuable really perspective. In- so thank you for bringing mm-hmm. that. You're yeah, it's really insightful. Um, I, well, I I have to be the hipster of the podcast, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like the special a lot. I think there are problems with it. Like, I think there's too many uh, red herrings in mm-hmm. this plot. They they should have streamlined them to, to the best of their... To make it probably much easier to follow. Like, for me, I feel they could have cut the Chopin part out. Because it doesn't... Chopin and his history doesn't really play a role in the general story. It's more kind of set set dressing from mm-hmm. my perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you you said um, you watched you, you prefer Prison of the Past because when I watched Goodbye Partner the first or second time, I watched Goodbye Partner and Prisoner of the Past back to back where with Prisoner of the Past I had to fly to Japan uh, to see it <laughs> and uh, and unsubbed, and I couldn't um, make heads or tails of what was happening during Prisoner of the Past. So I don't have a strong memory with that one. But with Goodbye Partner, I think what makes it great is just the it has some good action. I really, really enjoy the Jigen storyline of why he's doing what he's doing. And the backstory we see of that, we don't get the full context of, um, of the relationship he has um, with the mother of the pianist. Minako. Minako. Minako's mother. Yeah, like it's hinted that it might be a romantic relationship, but we we don't fully know that. And. Uh, Lupin's reaction to what is happening and just the the uh, the the uh, back and forth with that I think is really cool. Um, but I think if they had reduced some of the red herrings, like um, the Chopin stuff, Zenigata's role, uh, maybe Fujiko's role, because uh, a kind of a running joke with me and Austin is. With every Lupin special, one of the Lupin gang members is what we like to call the least valuable player, and that <laughs> they are in the special, but they don't really they don't really play a role. They just mm-hmm. have to be there to be there to like check the box of just like look here's here's Zenigata, here's Fujiko, here's uh, Goemon. God, that is it's so usually, true. It's usually, usually one Goemon. of those. <laughs> yep, it's like it's usually, usually, yeah. they're here. You're happy. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we we totally yeah. get that. We, I think we have that same joke actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, a common and, complaint and, among Lupin folk. <laughs> and and for me, the least valuable player for this special is Fujiko, because mm-hmm. she barely has any role, or like she doesn't really have any scheme. Uh, being close to. Uh, Ray Forest she's just kind of there to be there mm-hmm. um, like they, they throw in the watch but it doesn't 
excluding the the bomb part, it doesn't really play like a greater role in the story with the supercomputer or anything like that. You know, it's funny you mentioned red herrings. Like, basically, the whole idea of our our main villain putting a bomb collar on the uh, on the the guest character in the form of uh, Minako, who he's kidnapped, is basically com- completely thrown in the trash about halfway through the movie. It's like no longer a problem because yeah, well, what? Was... like Goemon shows up and cuts it off her neck, and it's no big deal. I mean, yeah, it has else... a it has a very funny and convoluted way that. Lupin is able to disarm that bomb, which I both find just insane and also like really hilarious. Mm-hmm. But still, it's like a red herring that they're like, "Oh, we're setting this up." Oh, never mind. Well, and also just with 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 the guest character in in the in the plot, like she doesn't really play a role in getting the supercomputer to cooperate. Like basically, they show that anybody could hit that one B note and be done. They, mm-hmm. the only, they only need her to, to interfere with the AI later for whatever reason, but you could change that to something else if you wanted to, and she doesn't really have a relationship with any of the characters except for Jigen, which is kind of a minor relationship compared to other usually female characters in Lupin specials that have mm-hmm. a much more significant role in them. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, I think the special has some good moments. I love all the stuff with Jigen, and uh, I think it's a it's a good modern special. I don't think it's like S tier. I think I'd give it like a solid B. Actually, I know we'll probably get into it later, but I actually really do. I think that's one sticking point I have with this special is the, uh, what, what, what was her name? Uh, Elisa Cartwright is, it, it, it's kind of a shame that the girl of the week, which is a usual, you know, standard thing for TV special. Like, I, it kind of really bums me out that she just exists as a plot device. And that's, that's a big sticking point with me, if I'm being 100% honest. That, mm-hmm. that, 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 that does it's it's eh. it I just realized I, I just realized I call her Minako earlier. It's like looking at Nick Fury and calling him Samuel L. Jackson. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all good. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could talk about. Um, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but going kind of back to what you said, Bill, about sort of evaluating the 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 chess pieces of the special you know how our how our individual lupon characters sort of interact within the story that is crafted here i think i mean if we're looking at lupon himself i think he's pretty he's pretty much standard lupon in this one mm-hmm. like there's nothing particularly interesting about anything that he has going on he's just kind of there to be himself you know be the gentleman thief you know push the plot forward and you know he wants to steal the thing and do the stuff and that's 
kind of it. He's he's Lupin on autopilot, and I don't mean that as a dig or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, did anybody have any particular thoughts on Lupin in this special? Uh, not really, but I do know that you mentioned uh, the black jacket. Um, yeah. Which, uh, like, that was kind of like what you were talking about with the bomb collar. It seems like it was a thing that happened and then not touched on. And to be fair, well, first of all, it's not, I don't think it's the first time that Lupin's worn a black jacket. Nope. Um, Drew, oh, when really? was it? Am I wrong? Oh no! Honestly, that was a weird thing of how like because I know I think even TMS tweeted about that. Oh. Like like that was part of the marketing where it's like he's he's got a new jacket color for the first time. Like excuse me, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I push my glasses up. Excuse me, Takeshi Kawike had him in a black jacket in the opening of Go. Oh Mons my gosh! <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> oh, you're so if, right. If we want to be pedantic. Like- <laughs> Well, well, TMS would be like, well, that's a whole different universe that isn't related. <laughs> so, that's Lu- that's Lupin, we are right. That's, that's Lupin the Threed, not Lupin the Third. <laughs> Lupin the Third. <laughs> the Third. So, I've always been on the fence about the black jacket overall, simply because not only is it just kind of tossed aside as a plot point that they seem to build up as like a big thing with the special, even though with their marketing, but also this is a character that is very flamboyant. He wore pink in the eighties <laughs> and he rocked it. Um, I know a lot of people do ed- art edits of like him in a yellow jacket and it works. Purple jacket works black. I think it's a little too dull for him. <laughs> And that's my mini gripe about Lupin mm. in the special. But otherwise, yeah, he's he's the lovable thief we all know. Um, yeah. And I yeah, I think he's one of the best parts of the special. He's probably one of the most enjoyable. Agreed. Not the most enjoyable part, uh, simply because he's just all over the place. He's really cartoony, but uh, like he gets the work done exceptionally well. Um, yeah, no, I would say... No, no, I think about it. He is my favorite part of the special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just good, classic, wacky Lupin. He's, he's, he is uh, understanding the assignment, as the kids say. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, and he does like the classic Lupin things where the villain at first thinks they've retrieved the item, but no, he created a fake. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> she does uh-huh. in like almost every Lupin special. Mm-hmm. Classic and Lupin. The, classic Lupin move he also I love as Austin brought up at first when you see him uh, playing in kind of the rollerball stuff with the girls on the beach you think oh that's just a one off thing for like him being kind of uh, is I'm trying to think of the right word fun loving uh, um, flirtatious like his flirtatious Uh self And, and then you see him bring it back when they break into <laughs> that facility, which was like mm-hmm. a great, which is like great call, which is a great callback, as you said, Austin, of him just mm-hmm. being very clever and finding kind of weird and wacky ways to pull off the sides, which are really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
and the way that he uses like his deductive reasoning to figure out that like oh i think jigen is betraying me but wait a second Jigen would never betray me because these things don't add up about what Jigen told me. So clearly he's just faking it and just l- using all this like nonsense, like JoJo's part two battle tendency logic to kind of well, figure out what is and isn't happening around him is just like, it's really clever. It's very Agatha Christie Columbo detective logic at work where mm-hmm. he's like, well, he's using the wrong, he's not using his usual magnum. He's using a government issued gun which he never does. And when he said, like, oh, I brought it in for repairs, Jigen would never trust anybody <laughs> with his guns. Right. Because <laughs> I, know, I know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's something going on here. And I'm going to play along, and we'll see where it leads. And mm-hmm. I think that that's just a, another great thing that is that a kind of a Columbo smokescreen of just, oh, you think... Lupin is just goofy, but no, he's actually really smart behind the goofiness. The goofiness is just a facade that he puts on for people. Mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. just like how Columbo puts on his like, oh, I don't know, mister, uh, just one more thing, and I don't mean <laughs> to bother you, uh, type deal. Yeah, and I guess that we could, we've talked, we talked about him a little bit, but I guess we can pivot to talking about Jigen. Like, mm. like you said, Bill, this is a fairly Jigen-focused special in, in a lot of ways, because basically the central guest character of uh, Elisa is like related to Jigen in some way from his past because he knew um, her mother and he knew that she was in danger. So that's kind of why he sort of allowed himself to be like a, an agent of this, you know, of, of uh, Roy Forrest to be used by him because he didn't want anything bad to happen to this, to this young girl. Uh, and it kind of thinking about that made me think about something that happens in Lupin like every once in a while and you guys being big fans of it I kind of wanted to pick your brains about it like how do we feel about you know like individual writers being very like laissez-faire about what they add into Lupin the third character's pasts and things like that because I guess on one hand you could be like well the Lupin characters really don't have a past because there is no canon Mm -hmm. but then there are sometimes that like certain things in their past really do shape the way that they're viewed going forward like in a lot of ways the woman called fujiko mine is kind of like the quote-unquote origin story of fujiko in a lot of ways and there's a lot of weight put on that or maybe there isn't i don't know so what what do you guys think about that idea I, i honestly i think that is one of the things that really contributed to me falling in love with lupine is the fact that it is just so open and like, I think the best way I can word this, it it, it it allows for so much variety in tone and storytelling. It, 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 it kind of opens up like you can have something like the Castle of Cagliostro where it kind of explicitly points out that, you know, this is later in part one uh, Lupin's career, kind of, you know, in, like him at the twilight of his career. But then you've got you know the uh, Kawike films and the woman called Fujiko Mine where it's like kind of an alternate telling of the gang when they first met and you know the TV specials and then uh, some some writers like to uh, what's the way I can best put this like I know recently there has been kind of a minor canon with starting with part 4 because part 5 
kind of directly follows on from part four and part five in its first episode seems to indicate that every Lupin thing has happened, which is kind of interesting for that story. Hmm. So honestly, like, yeah, I'm I'm starting to ramble at this point, but I, I really do appreciate the kind of, well, not the kind of the very loose nature of kind of canon in Lupin because it also mm-hmm. it, it can seem like an intimidating franchise to get into just from the sheer volume of entries but really with like a tiny handful of exceptions you can jump in at any point and you can introduce someone at any point you know like and the cool thing about that is that like you know you can kind of gauge what kind of preferences the person you like you're going to recommend it to like you know what they're into like you know if someone likes uh, Studio Ghibli movies, you can kind of show them, you know, here's Castle Cagliostro, the Fuma Conspiracy, the later half of part one. If you like the kind of weirdly hard-boiled, out-there, zany mystery of Mamo, you can show them, you know, Bye Bye Lady Liberty. And um, uh, I don't think of another the one. The other Dazaki ones. Oh, yes, the other Dazaki ones. Uh, especially uh, the Hemingway papers. I have a, a soft spot in my heart for that one. But like, and if someone's into Looney Tunes... And just wacky cartoon stuff. Part three. Legendary <laughs> Golden Babylon. <laughs> part three. So honestly, yeah, th- that kind of laissez-faire attitude is probably my favorite aspect of the Loop on the Third franchise. And I'm I'm, I'm okay. going to stop rambling now. No, oh, you're I'm fine. Gonna, I'm going to uh, piggyback off of Drew and say I agree. I uh, in regards to this special. And so I bring up Gio at the Lisa, and I'll get back to the laissez-faire canon uh, opinion. There was a theory going around that that Elisa is Jigen's daughter. It was a theory like right at the start when like mm-hmm. this first aired. And I can see uh, people interpreting that way, but mm-hmm. yeah, right. And there is also a special in existence called Stolen Lupin. That is, it it hints at the fact that the NPC girl in that is Lupin's daughter. Doesn't say for sure. Um, but then it's never mentioned again. <laughs> and I I like that. I know recently, like Drew says, since part four has been like a minor canon. Um, like he explained, and also I can go further than that. In part five, there are callbacks to like Rebecca, uh, mm-hmm. which thank thank God for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and like other characters, there was a callback to one from a special as well. So there is minor canon going on now, but before that, it was just like dogs without horses um yeah (laughs) and i love that because there's i think i mentioned at the start that this series sparked my creativity again and i think that's because it it, canon's very loose you basically do what you want with it while also having some points that do stay consistent um but i like that there really isn't that solid backstory we don't know who lupon's mother is even though part six tried to establish that um we don't know if this is jigen's daughter or not and 
I don't know if you're ever going to know that. But because of that, it's not, like Drew says, it's not as intimidating to get into as, say, like One Piece. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go, Bill. There you go. She said it. She said OP. OP? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she did. I did. It was I that set the house ablaze. Uh, <laughs> so I I definitely like a looser take on Lupin. Do yeah. I appreciate some canon here and there, some like personality traits or just some bits and pieces of background to be kind of the same? Yeah. But otherwise, I like that. It's up to our interpretation. We can do what we want with it. And that's what's so right. fun. And that's what keeps it so fresh. Mm-hmm. And I guess from a screenplay writer's perspective, too, I'm sure the people working on these things kind of are a little bit liberated that they can kind of play with the ideas. Because, like, Lupin, if you if you wanted to make, like, a... I mean, I know this isn't always true, but, like, Lupin, for the most part, exists in a constant present. Like, they don't really have to worry mm-hmm. about what comes before or after. In a way, that is pretty liberating because you can have... You can have, like, George H.W. Bush appear, and you can have, like, Edward Snowden appear in, like, <laughs> which, the same which, show with the main character being the same age at the same time. Which, uh, like which Batman. Austin, which Austin, George H. Bush did appear in uh, the Siberia with Love, the third yeah. TV special. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, which is, I know. Which is, pretty, I know. Which, is, which is pretty fun. But I think I just could... This is going to be like a preaching to the choir here, but um, I think that's one of the strengths is because I think we as fans think we want continuity, but you really don't mm-hmm. because when you when you have continuity, well, it's it's a cool feature. It's also quicksand because yeah, then is. you're because then you're confined to it and whatever you have in your mind of a character is going to be better than whatever writer comes up with. Mm-hmm. And so you are, you are bound to be disappointed. And I, I like that term minor canon. I like the term a lot because I think Lupin's really good about that is they'll either bring a villain back that is notable. Like they brought back Pykow a number of times or in this special, they do a slight little nod to, Castle with um, where uh, Jigen is trying to uh, calm the our, our main heroine down and just like oh uh, Lupin taught me how to do this and he tries to do the flower thing that he, uh, Lupin did in Castle but doesn't do it as smoothly. I, I love, love that, that as scene. A little, yeah, I love that as a little like little reference and i also love that as like a character difference of just like jigen is never that smooth it's Um. funny you bring up that in particular because drew and i and the rest of cybirds and cigarettes we talk often about how frequently this series calls back to castle of cagliostro and Mm. for the most part we are uh, a little tired of it (laughs) in a lot of ways but that one in particular I've always enjoyed that was I cute. Think well, it's so cute. Um, I'll give him that one. Yeah, yeah. No, that one. That one's a good callback. I like that. Well, no, one I, I I agree with uh, with you and Drew that they go back to the well of Castle way too much because they're just trying to get as much water from that well as they can. Ooh, and but it's I, dry. what I like it's, it's dry. very dry. <laughs> it, it is. 
But you've, you've gotten all the water. You need to go dig up another well. Let's go to the mine. Oh. Well. Come on, guys. That, oh, that'd be, that'd More be pop rocks. But, uh, yeah, boy. Send the but, brain. Uh, <laughs> giant brains. But, uh, but... They, but I like that because it's subtle. Not it's not in your face. Mm-hmm. Whereas other specials, they were like, "Let's just do the plot. Let's just rehash the Cascagliostro plot over again." Because that's <laughs> what people like. Princess of the Breeze. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Cousin tight. <laughs> bless, bless you. Uh, but uh, I like little little nods. I think that's. When you do little nods and it's not like in your face, I think it's it can it's much more appreciated. So we kind of went down that rabbit hole a bit. So let's kind of get back to, you know, talking about the individual characters here. So mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about Goemon. I would say he's probably the second least most valuable player in this. But mm-hmm. I do really enjoy, like, the central joke of the whole special here. Where, yes. you know, the only reason he's here is because he really wants to cut that rock. Like, I think that's very <laughs> funny. That's very mm-hmm. Goemon. <laughs> It is. It is. God love him. But yeah, yeah no, he, he is a criminally underutilized character. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, yeah. he gets more of a role in this one mm-hmm. as well as and I loved, past. I loved the scene, and Drew, you mentioned it towards the beginning of the show, where they were, where Zenigata was bringing them all into Interpol because... You know, events happen. Events happen, and Zenigata briefly teams up with Lupin and 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 the gang, which does happen in a lot of specials from time to mm-hmm. time. Uh, like I was watching um, Voyage to Danger, and it happens in that oh, one too. Um, but anyway, like he brings them all into into the Interpol station, but Goemon has dressed up as Lupin, uh, and Lupin has dressed up as Goemon, dressed in a disguise. And all the layers going on there make for some quite some excellent hilarity. Whereas Zenigata <laughs> is just like interrogating Lupin relentlessly and Goemon, who is not a master of improv- improvisation, unlike Lupin, it just kind of ragdoll affects himself and doesn't really <laughs> say anything. <laughs> it's, it's quite some excellent comedy writing. Maybe I, if I go limp, they won't bother me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I, I do okay. appreciate his commitment to the bit of how he just completely goes feral and snaps at a guard who tries to approach oh, yeah. him. Which <laughs> it's like it's like Goemon's idea of improv is just violence, which is really funny. <laughs> usually what he resorts to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's all he knows. Well, I love that. It- 
Well, Goemon is a can be a very regimented character. I think a great example of that is when that scene where Jigen betrays Lupin, and he knows that he's not going to be able to be Goemon in a fight because of the speed that mm-hmm. Goemon has with his sword. So he, he when he fires his bullet, it's really just a gas bullet to put him asleep because I can't. Yeah, that was I can't good. beat it. I can't beat him. So I need to find a way to surprise him because he's so regimented. He's not going to suspect that I'm going to fire this this uh, gas gas bullet onto onto uh, onto him. I think that was mm-hmm. really clever. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just started thinking of Joe Dirt with the poison mustard gas. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would come up. <laughs> so, so I just love that. The universal thing about going on with the entire gang is like, we can't beat him. <laughs> so they have to resort to dirty poison mustard gas tactics. Which Jigen is smart enough to know that that would work. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good on him. Yep. Like he's smart enough to know that he, he wants Lupin to think he's trying to kill him, but he's also doesn't really want to kill him. So he just shoots the lighter that he knows is inside of his jacket because Jigen never misses they did that in part four too you know it's funny emma you mentioned that the the whole fact and uh uh bill you mentioned it too the fact that you know Jigen and pretty much the whole gang knows that they can't take on going on so they have to like take other means i like that that also plays a part in the ending with the uh, ai amilka when Goemon cuts through that door and she's like I think she says something to the effect of, you know, that sword can't cut through that door. Like, what <laughs> right. was that? All right, I'm shutting this entire thing down. Like, she essentially does the Homer Simpson backing into a bush thing. Like, yes, pretty much. <laughs> I don't understand that sword, and I don't understand and re- you. So, uh, I, I, just, <laughs> I don't understand and why re- you're putting swing it. jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was uh, great. She was just like, logically, and through all laws of physics, you cannot slice through that door. How did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Amilka.exe like, has crashed. Right, exactly. 404. <laughs> and Goemon is just like, well, I've just trained. I'm just that good, or something like that. Um, so yeah, what do we think of? Uh, I, I think, I think Zinagata in this special is is quite funny. I think one of mm-hmm. the things that stands out in this one is that like they set him up to basically be written out of the special pretty mm-hmm. early on. Because he gets arrested by Interpol because they have this uh, cockamamie theory that he's the one that has been helping helping Lupin all along, which is why they never seem to be able to catch him, rather than his own incompetence or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, about you know two thirds through the special, uh, we see Zenigata in prison. Like he doesn't show up until then, and it's just kind of like a surprise of like, oh, you know, they're not actually writing Zenigata out of this. He's going to be part of the adventure. Yeah. So it's kind of a nice surprise whenever he does show up. I, I kind of liked that touch. It was it was a smart little uh, little twist there. I thought. Mm-hmm. I also love the scene in the uh, in the inter in the uh, Interpol station because. Every usually every time it's one on one, it's a very much Roadrunner Coyote scenario where uh, Zenigata is the coyote. But mm-hmm. when it comes to other people, and he does all those uh, 
getting all the police and security uh, tied up with all his handcuffs, <laughs> which is like a right. really cool <laughs> sequence for him. I'm yeah. just like, oh no, he's he's actually good. He's just not as good as as Lupin. The right. Thing. Right, right, and and so, and so he's always going to be the coyote to Lupin's Roadrunner, right? Uh, when it's just between the two of them, but in the general in the general world, no, he's really good. Right, right. Senigata, I think that was a good touch. Yeah, Senigata is uh, my favorite character of the main five. Um, I feel very passionate choice. about Senigata. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I have a theory that all the specials that utilize Zenigata properly and also have him at the forefront are top tier specials. Unfortunately, this one only gets one of those parts. Mm. And they use utilize him properly, but just not enough. Um yeah. I just think that he like once he helps like the interrogation process, I don't think you see him the rest of the special. That is true. It's, it's like he gets his like little arc, and then he's kind of mm-hmm. out until then the very, he's very, very end. Then he's out, which is a shame because he is a really strong part in it. Um, mm-hmm. And Billy, you mentioned Zenigata is an incredible police officer. <laughs> <laughs> he is just always like a half step behind Lupin. Lupin is just that good. Whereas Lupin is oh. the top of his game. Zenigata is the top of his game, just barely under. Um, Let and Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, let's just not forget exactly like Zenigata's last thing that he does as a main part of the story. Right. Uh, <laughs> were you going to mention that? Where he has like all the handcuffs? No, no. Like whenever he catches, um, whenever he catches Roy Forrest, like how he gets that done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, like, the end where, yeah. where, yes, where there, where, where he ejects from his like super expensive plane, and when he thinks he's like I've made it, Zenigata was like, <laughs> no, you. And he's when he gets captured, he's like, what? We're in the United States waters. I'm friends with the president. You can't arrest me. And then he's like, aha, but we're in international waters where the United States has no jurisdiction. So, <laughs> so I love you're that. Stuck. Yeah, he's like, I am an officer of Interpol and I'm taking you in. <laughs> he's just so good at what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unfortunate some specials don't know how to write them. So they kind of write him more of the bumbler rather than like an excellent detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the Inspector Clouseau. Right. He's both. He is yes. a bumbler kind of like, like just kind of goofy, but he is also really, really good at his job. Mm-hmm. So I guess so that, that brings us kind of, oh, go ahead. No, it's like, that's my tangent on setting out it, so...
I guess that kind of brings us to Fujiko, kind of at the very end, which unfortunately I don't really, at least me personally, I don't really have that much to say. I did mm. kind of enjoy kind of the the this the 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 beauty and simplicity that like you know compared to everyone else this time Fujiko really was just in it for the for the shiny watch i mean i think that's kind of a decent joke in of itself like there is no complex motivation for her this time it's just like oh no nah, i just wanted that watch <laughs> which is kind of funny in its own right it's just a woman that knows what she wants I, exactly. my, my main thing with Fujiko, and she does have a purpose, at least in the terms of adding to the piano playing. Um, right, she does. So she can, which I never even knew that, like, again, there goes that laissez-faire stuff, like, oh, Fujiko is actually a talented uh, jazz pianist, um, which is an interesting plot point. Uh, my main thing with Fujiko, yeah, I do think she's probably the least valuable player here. Also, I absolutely cannot stand her hair design in this special. <laughs> yeah. Drew, you la- Drew, la- Drew laughs because he knows how I feel about this. It's a strange look. It's a very strange look. It does, it's like pull, it's like pulled back, right? It's like a pulled back hair. No, she, she's got like long brunette, like long dark brown hair with like bangs and she never has, she never really has bangs that often. And, and like, honestly, I, I, I would not really know it's Fujiko if like they weren't, they weren't calling her by that name and if she wasn't voiced by Miyuki Sawashiro, I'm just kind of like, oh, who's this new, uh, who's this new <laughs> character of the week? Oh wait, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> so kind of one of the last things I wanted to bring up sort of generally speaking about this special is that in a, in an, in a way that is not dissimilar to a lot of other modern Lupin things, especially like Lupin TV stuff, is that this particular special, kind of like we've said earlier, really does deal with a lot of like modern technology, modern uh, politics, and pulls in a lot of stuff from from real life and sort of adapts it into the story that they're trying to tell. Like the central uh antagonist is like a a tech billionaire like we've said who's really buddy buddy with the president who is very obviously modeled after hillary clinton but no of course not uh <laughs> Poor, edward poorly <laughs> aged things <laughs> right exactly exactly and like uh edward snowden is literally in it and i think he has a pull quote on the back of the discotheque release which is hilarious yeah no actually I, i'm glad I'm glad you bring that up because that was actually one of my notes is that he found out about the cameo and loved it, yes. calling it a lifetime achievement. <laughs> right, exactly. That's so incredible, incredible. And Lupin is no stranger to doing this. I mean, political figures and, you know, uh, current events have shown up in the franchise since the very beginning. But uh, mm-hmm. how do we feel How do we feel like it was uh, incorporated in this, in this particular special? Let's see. So with this one... This, this special in particular, I I don't mind the incorporation of modern technology. Actually, I very much like how modern technology is incorporated specifically in part five, which kind of tackled that head on mm-hmm. and had, you know, like, you know, what if, you know, Lupin versus social media, which is was a really cool pitch and I think handled incredibly well. And and I, I guess it's because of the, you know, the limited runtime. I was telling some people in uh, one of our Lupin servers earlier, this one kind of feels, at, at some times, kind of comically modern, specifically in the scene where 
Roy Forrest is, you know, taking Fujiko by private jet into his facility. And the way I wrote it down here was uh, basically the exposition goes, so here's my hydraulic and solar-powered high-tech fortress that can also receive electricity <laughs> through microwaves from my solar panels. Oh, yeah. Everything here can be printed by a giant 3D printer. And did I mention it's all controlled by a state-of-the-art AI? And I'm like, oh, okay. It is 2019. Thank you. For- <laughs> I mean, uh, ca- count counterpoint, Drew. That's how tech bros are. This is true. That That is one thing. I, I don't... Roy Forrest is not going to be winning my... Uh, favorite Lupin villain award anytime <laughs> soon. However, a, uh, a, uh, I don't want to get too political, but a white tech billionaire who goes super American first. This is a pretty, uh, pretty accurate portrayal. So interesting. He is it a really believable is. villain. Hmm. The only thing I, I kind of raised my eyebrow at at the end is when um uh they when when he escapes the police convoy and there's a bit of exposition that says like did you know he's also former spec ops we're in trouble I'm like ah no tech bros going to be spec ops ever <laughs> they uh, are <no>. incapable <laughs> <laughs> and I did I did um I did think it was kind of funny how you know they they have all these these real this real world grounding to actual technology that does exist but kind of towards the end it basically just becomes a big like explosion festival because i feel like they got to a mm-hmm. certain point and thought well i guess it would just be a big explosion festival so that's kind of what we got <laughs> you get kind of a, a big explosion festival with diet diet ghost in the shell kind of going on with with yeah. the milka and humanity, and then she eventually becomes, I guess, you know, prime delivery by way of Hatsune Miku. Yeah, At that was weird. We we see we see her make a three D printed body, but they never go back to that. No, they don't. They're like they don't go back to it like explicitly. But did you catch during the end credit scene? She is present in the yes. audience for uh for Elisa's performance, which is kind of an odd I touch. It's not really focused on. That wasn't. I I just now made the connection, but yes, I did remember seeing her, and that is a very interesting follow up to that idea. It sounds like maybe they just ran out of runtime and thought, mm-hmm. well, we want to do this idea, but we don't know how to do it right, so let's just do it somehow. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you got a writer's room. Pitch it to me. So, uh, uh, uh so she becomes a prime delivery, uh, and, and and she sings kind of vocaloid. Yeah, and uh, uh she's trying to fix. The uh, you know, the the state of the world. So you know, uh, Emilka, uh, socialist icon. So you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, all right, guys, we got Sa- it. Perfect. Save Wrap the world up, through vocaloids. <laughs> the uh, the the writer was a big fan of of Mass Effect and saw what happened to the AI of that series and said, <laughs> "I'll just do that." Um, yeah, I would say for the um. The modern stuff, I know some people don't like it. They kind of want Lupin to be timeless. But I like that Lupin can pretty much do whatever he wants. It's mm-hmm. it's very Doctor Who-like where we can set him in any time period. He can deal with any type of political or any type of problem. He can deal with anything dealing with history. It's very Doctor Who-esque. Mm-hmm. And mo- the modern times is just one more tool in the arsenal belt yeah and if you don't if you don't like it then you can find other loop and specials that are more kind of 
in the vein of like part two, which are more like James Bond going to a fabulous country around the world global adventure than the modern stuff. I will say, like Drew, you said, um, I think they got too much into the just the info dump of just like, oh yeah, and this is how my base works, and this is where I come from, and so <laughs> and so. I but my favorite part of the modern stuff and it's slightly political a slightly political commentary was the not Hillary Clinton uh, when she finds out Roy Forrest's grand plan she's like crap we got to we got to get rid of this because if they find out <laughs> the US was involved we're screwed what do we do we just blow it up blow it up <laughs> doesn't exist just just kill it that's what that's what we do we're America. We, <laughs> America. <laughs> so it's a it's I a very it. poignant message. <laughs> Indeed, and a, a, a so, message Lupin's been making since the seventies because Mystery of Mamo ends the exact same way mm-hmm. with the yeah. United States just being like, eh, we don't want to be tied to this. Uh, nuke it. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, Japan has a history with the United States making that kind of a decision, but we won't get into that today. Hmm. Mm. But uh, but yeah, um, I thought the modern stuff for the special uh, fit pretty well. It didn't feel too in your face or like uh, the uh, the Steve Buscemi meme of "What's up, fellow kids?" <laughs> um, it it uh, no, it, it felt like it it fit in. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess, you know, here at the very end, just your brief final thoughts on Lupin the Third, Goodbye Partner. Go, Emma. Um, yeah, I, like, I definitely am glad that I talked to other people about it. Um, I always try to think of positive things about every special. Uh, it's a little harder with things like Princess of the Breeze. <laughs> to think about stuff like that. This one, there are a lot of positive aspects. I was just thinking, like, in comparison to so many of the other specials, it's definitely probably, in my opinion, one of the more weaker ones. Um, but that is to say that there are a lot of things that I like about it. I am glad that they did focus, even though, uh, like Bill said, it was just eventually kind of a throwaway plot point. I did like the message, uh, like the mentioning of Chopin, but that's just like the music history nerd in me. Um, I would say, unfortunately for me, there's just like too many weak spots of it to like discount. So for me, it's on my, like, I just did a list of all the specials in order, like my opinions on them. And this one's more towards the bottom. Not like all the way toward the bottom at all, but yeah, I'm just glad that I had other people to talk to about it uh, to get other perspectives and like just really dial into it. So those are my final thoughts on that. Drew? Uh, yeah, I'm going to uh, echo a point Emma made there. It was, honestly, it was very nice to talk to you both about this because I... My opinion was leaning really more towards the negatives, but again, I had to be reminded (laughs) of the positives in it because there is positive stuff there. I like pretty much everything with the Lupin gang and it really hits for me 
except for you know Fujiko who doesn't get much to do which is a shame but unfortunately not an uncommon uncommon occurrence in some of the TV specials mm-hmm. but I think the one thing that holds it back a little bit is anything that doesn't involve the Lupin gang gets on a little needlessly convoluted and spends a little too much time with it it's kind of a there's a uh, a driving critic and horror host uh joe bob briggs who has an immortal quote which is too much plot getting in the way of the story yeah. which mm. kind of happens a bit in it and so I, I i end up kind of middling on it but at the same time i have seen worse tv specials it's not entirely without merit i uh didn't get to touch on it much, but I do. I did very much enjoy the last twenty minutes. Kind of come alive for me with it when the the U.S. military kind of does the comical assault on the base, and it's scored to dueling pianos playing Chopin, and culminates <laughs> in Lupin and Jigen finding a giant cannon by sheer convenience. <laughs> which is honestly yeah, yeah that's good <laughs> it, it, that that and i'm sorry to get a little uh, rambly here and i'm going to actually keep it very short but i kind of like that bit because it is a little fun small encapsulation of the lupon gang like no matter how much modern technology you throw at them they are always going to find an old school way to counter it right and right. it doesn't matter how much technology you throw at lupon the third you are not going to stop him or catch him at any point <laughs> he will either he will master his... <laughs> go ahead oh, go ahead go, go ahead go ahead i was gonna say he will either master the technology that you try and throw at him or find an analog way to get around it <laughs> exactly because i think uh if, you know like for example in part five he'll either counteract all of your technology with you know a very powerful digital monocle or in this special he will find a big ass cannon <laughs> and thwart you with it Every time. So even though I, I kind of have some, it, 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 there are a bit more negative aspects to it than that they kind of outweigh the positives. It ends on a note that leaves me with a smile on my face, which is about all I can ask for with the with the loop on the third entry. Mm-hmm. Bill, I like the special a lot. Um, I, it was memorable. And I would rather have a memorable special that has flaws than one that I find boring and forgettable. Like for me, ones that I I'm not a huge fan of, like Green versus Red, mm-hmm. not great. Uh, I think it's called the 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 Sword of Doom, which is a no, that's sort of Doom. Dragon right? of Doom. Dragon of Doom. Dra- Dragon. Of, yeah, thank you. Dragon of Doom. I'm thinking of a of a of a. Uh, Japanese samurai movie was sort of Doom. Um, Dragon <laughs> of Doom's kind of forgettable, um, and uh, just or Return of Paikau, stuff, stuff like stuff like that, where I, it's more forgettable, and, and I and I and I will just zone out and not think about it. Um, whereas this one, I remembered it; it's stuck in my brain. And if it's if it can do that, then I think that's a successful Lupin special. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. I mean, I was pretty positive on this one going in, like I said at the beginning, but I I think it's I think it's solid. It's not the greatest Lupin thing in the world. I think it would be a reasonable choice if you wanted to introduce someone to kind of a modern take on Lupin for the first time, something that wasn't quite so classic and wasn't quite so um, hard-boiled like the Koike and... uh, um, 
if they like the modern stuff from like part five, then then I would yeah. recommend the special. Like mm-hmm. it's it's sort of a continuation of the more modern stuff. I probably wouldn't show them this one first. I would show them something like maybe Lupin the First or apparently Prison mm. on, Prison of the Past is really good. That's very close on my list to check out next. Uh, but I think this one is fun. I think the uh, you can do a lot of um, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen meme for all of the uh, <laughs> the modern things that show up, which is kind of enjoyable in of itself. So I think it's re- I think it's it's solid. It's solid. I certainly like it a lot more than Dead or Alive. I certainly like it a lot more than Twilight Gemini. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh listen, so listen. There, there are there positive things there, there, about there. every special. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree with you, Emma. I totally agree. But this this one this one to me is solid. I, I dig it. It's pretty cool. Um but I but on that note, I think just off the top of your head, and maybe this one would be the easiest for Emma, go around the room and everyone say a special you like more than this one and a special you like less than this one. So Emma, since so, you already have a list, you go ahead. Um well, my first two that are tied for first are Episode Zero, First Contact, and Tokyo Crisis. Um, those are my top two. And then I do love Alcatraz Connection so much. So much. I love that special. And then probably least favorite, like closer to the bottom, Larry mentioned Princess of the Breeze, and that's low-hanging fruit. I cannot stand because it's so boring the detective conan special i'm sorry Ooh. wait I'm sorry. the tv one or the movie the tv series the tv one or the movie the tv special yeah that one's bad okay mm-hmm. yeah. i was like oh god i just realized what i did i was like shit <laughs> <laughs> i shouldn't have said that and then you said tv and i was like yes no but that one is like princess of the breeze is the absolute bottom for me and then that one's just like right above it and bill for you what's one you like more than this one and what's one you like less than this one is okay just for clarification is this just the tv specials and not the movie movies i guess since they're so similar we can count both okay uh my favorite probably is tokyo crisis no, no, I've not your one favorite. Mold. One you like more, um, and one you like less. I want to like. A very specific like question. Okay, that's the I challenge. Like um, I failed. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, Island of Assassins. That's that's a that's a good one that mm-hmm. I like more than, than this one, and I know I'm probably gonna get pitchforks. But I, I find Lupin the first very boring. Uh, I think it looks be- I think it looks beautiful, but if you take away that animation beauty, the story itself is very boring. Mm. You know, Drew. I, 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 I don't fully agree with that take, but that is a take that's kind of been uh, percolating with me recently because I think that movie looks gorgeous, but it is kind of like a TV special plot. But um, mm-hmm. but uh, get, getting on one I like more, I'll actually go with one I like more that's uh, a bit related to this one. So Jun Kawagoe had um, uh, directed a TV special in 2003 before this one called, I don't know if you've seen it, 
Operation Return the Treasure. Oh, which, yeah. yes. Which yeah. I enjoy immensely. And I think this is me being my petty self. I think one reason why I kind of docked this special, and this is a completely personal reason, is because in the opening of this special, you know, there's obviously the, the casino heist. There is a shot. The shot of the safe opening and the kind of like crash zoom into Lupin is a direct reference to his special in the opening. And whereas like the opening here kind of felt like yeah, kind of going through the motions, the opening of Operation Return of the Treasure has this very moody like, kind of feel to it where you got Jigen in a trench coat smoking a cigarette and like, you know, under the moonlight with his coat flowing in the wind and him and Lupin talking about like this plan they have and Jigen shoots electrical wires out and it leads to a rocket a uh, rocket skateboard chase that leads to a boat chase with Zenigata skiing with his feet as boats with RPGs chase. But I'm going to stop rambling because <laughs> that, that, that one I like a lot more because it has, unlike this special, a very brisk pace to it. It kind of goes from set piece to set piece to set piece without kind of slowing down until kind of the third act where it kind of take, takes its breath. So that is one I would highly recommend that I like more than this. And a special... That I like less that has not been mentioned yet. Um, obviously, there's Princess of the Breeze. Twilight Gemini has been mentioned. But I think one I will single out is, and it breaks my heart, is Napoleon's Dictionary. Oh, actually, good choice. Mostly that's because... A good, that's, a good, that's a good one. That's a good choice, yeah. I know that yeah, the budget for that one was pretty much minuscule. And the thing is, the, the budget for that one is so minuscule. It's directed by Osamu Dezaki, and you could not tell that if it mm. weren't for one flashback scene that is entirely in postcard memories. But that's it. There are no, like, crazy lighting choices. There's no... I don't think, I don't think there's much of, like, his triple take thing in it as there usually is. Like, you know, none of his wonderful bag of tricks that is kind of all over... Bye Bye Lady Liberty and the Hemingway Papers and From Siberia with Love, even though I don't love that one as much. I can at least tell that's a Dezaki special. Napoleon's Dictionary is so slow. And and when you tell me that it's directed by Osamu Dezaki, a, a single teardrop just rolls down my eye every time that fact is mentioned. <laughs> Dang. So, so, quick, 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 quick sidebar. I'll keep this brief. That's it has such a premise that could have been so interesting. Of, I know. Let's put, let's, let's put Lupin the Third in like the Great Race. Right. That sounds awesome. Seriously, but they don't do. They don't. They don't do anything with it at all. There's so many it's, fun parts of that, and it's just awesome it's so idea. Boring. It's like a CC's pizza. It's an awesome <laughs> idea for <laughs> awesome. I, awesome idea for execution. It, the only thing I could recommend for that thing is on the discotheque release, Daryl Surratt from Anime World Order did yes. a commentary. And that's like the only, I guess, saving grace of that special is the and, auto commentary that's on there. And it's a real shame, too, because I can't cut it. I cannot cut it any slack, even though the villain looks like me when I grow my hair out, which was <laughs> odd to see. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I the first the first time I watched it, my hair was in that state, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <That's me."> wow. <laughs> for for the one that I'm going to mention as one that I like least is one that hasn't been talked about at all, 
probably because it's not licensed. I had to fly to Japan to see this one, and it's Lupin the Third, Record of Observations of the East, another page. Boy, howdy, this one is boring. I'm disconnecting um, the call right now. <laughs> I I I did not I did not enjoy that one. I thought it was very slow. I don't remember anything about it other than thinking, meh, whatever. Uh, maybe if Discotech puts that one out eventually, because I'm sure that they will, I'll give it mm-hmm. another chance. But for right now, I'm going to say, yeah, I like Good Goodbye Partner a lot more than that. And for one that I like, or for one that I like more than Goodbye Partner, I mean, I guess I'll I'll, I'll just say, um, it's already been mentioned, but Crisis in Tokyo. I, I still think mm-hmm. Crisis in Tokyo is like a top tier special. Like, it's very good. If I would ever, I think it's like maybe with the exception of like Rebecca Rossellini, I think it has like one of the one of the best guest characters in that reporter girl. And mm-hmm. it's like a bummer that she's never shown up in anything else. Like, I would I love agree. it if she came back somehow. Like, she was great. And like her rapport with Zenigata was just, just very entertaining. Another great Zenigata focus special. So I highly recommend Crisis in Tokyo. And as per usual, here at the end of our episode, we'll do our one final third impact anime question. What is, to you, the single most iconic scene of this special? The one scene that you will think of whenever you think of this special. Uh, Drew, go ahead. Lay it, lay it on us. What is one scene that you take away from this special? I think one scene that I take away from the special, and it's one that very much cracked me up is the uh the payoff to the bubble ball setup mm-hmm. just the image and the concept of lupon and goemon thwarting a barrage of torpedoes with two inflatable like little bubble things causing them uh, they also have a bomb but you know the the <laughs> eruption of all the torpedoes which causes two battleships to collide and completely decimate each other as Lupin and as Lupin and Goemon ascend in the sky in basically two little you know balloons. That was that 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 that's pure Lupin logic right there, and I love it. Beautiful, Emma. Um, probably when they when Goemon is disguised as Lupin and Lupin is disguised as Goemon in a disguise with Zenigata and (laughs) Goemon does that feral snap. Uh, Yeah, no, that's gonna, that's always the first image that comes to my mind whenever I think of Goodbye Partner. So that'll be mine. Bill? Um, The scene with uh, Chigen trying to do the fire bit from Kaskagliostro because I love that's a, that's a subtle nod that's not in your face and that's also a great character moment for Jigen. And mine, maybe unfortunately, but I think it's a great way to end it, will be the CGI noodle hands. Oh, <laughs> oh no! I thought you were gonna, I, I, I thought I thought you were gonna go with the um, how they disable the bomb with Bluetooth. <laughs> oh, I do love that. That's great too. <laughs> But uh, but no, it'll be CGI noodle hands. That is a lasting <laughs> image. God, it is a lasting image. You know, you know, as someone that watches idol shows, there's worse CGI. I'm telling you, there's worse. Mm, I believe <laughs> or, you. Or, or initial D CGI is worse. No, even even <laughs> even newer initial 
even newer Initial D, and I'm sorry, Initial D fans, if you listen to the show, it 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 looks bad. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> so, with that, let us let us do the honored ancient podcast tradition, which is not an ad read, but plugs. <laughs> so, people. Plug away your projects, your Twitters, your Instagrams, your social medias that you want to people to uh, engage with you on. So let's go. Let's go across the room. Let's go with Emma first. <laughs> Please engage with me. Don't don't. <laughs> Don't ask to be engaged with to me. Just please engage with me. So on Twitter, I am Emma Wolf, E-M-M-A-W-O-L-F-E-227. This is my most active social media by far. Um, I'm completely feral on it. But you will see multi-fandom stuff. Uh, I talk a lot about the job that I have. I'm a legal assistant in the law firm. So I post a lot of quotes uh, throughout my job, um, high octane stuff. Um, I'm an artist, a cosplayer, and fitness enthusiast, um, and all of my stuff goes on there. I'm also on Instagram, E-M Wolf, uh, W-O-L-F-E-227. Um, that is on Instagram. I post most of my cosplay on there. I also post my animals. I have two dogs, two Pomeranians, and a gigantic cat. Um, those are going to be my two most commonly used social media. Also, I am a co-host on Cybergs and Cigarettes, but I'll let Drew do the plugging on that one. Let's see. So you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. Uh, you'll find me mostly tweeting about uh, old anime, new anime, Lupin. This time of year, probably some horror-related stuff because I'm, I'm, you know, I do love me the spooky season. Um, that's pretty much the only social media I have that I'm very active on, but. For the podcast, Sideburns and Cigarettes, you can find us on Twitter at LupinPod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. And you can find us on Instagram at the same at. And uh, if you want to listen to our show, you can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And I believe we're also available on the Google Play, Google Podcasts platform. I've actually looked us up and we show up on there. So that's a nice surprise. Don't say more to us there. We would uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Nice and Austin. Well, for me, you can always find me at Bebop Shock over on Twitter. You know, talking about whatever it is that I happen to want to discuss that day. And uh, you can also find the brand Twitter over on, of course, twitter.com slash TI underscore anime. Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you have already followed us. If not, what the heck are you doing with your life? Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Third Impact Anime, and you can find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I did want to say just thank you guys so much for coming on the show and talking about Lupin with us. Well, thank you am flattered that you asked us to be on because the work you do on this show is absolutely incredible and it was an honor to join you to discuss the uh the monkey face thief his Thank friends you. 
It means a lot. <laughs> and, and there are many adventures. No, we, we are so happy <laughs> to be on here. Um, uh, like I said, spreading the Lupin gospel is something Amen. that I take very seriously. And just so grateful to be able to talk about the series that I love with friends uh, for two hours. What else was I going to do tonight? Nothing. <laughs> like, let's be honest. Honestly, I was probably going to watch more Lupin. So might as well talk about it. <laughs> and uh, I guess that leaves me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WB Foreman, F-O-R-E-M-A-N, with three nines, nine, nine, nine. Uh, where I'm usually retweeting about Lupin, uh, Detective Conan a lot, because I love Detective Conan, One Piece, Hearthstone, um, that type of stuff. Final you Fantasy also... 14. Yeah, my new recent obsession, Final Fantasy 14. Um, speaking of that, you can follow my journey in getting into Final Fantasy 14 on our Discord server. At uh, Third Impact Anime, uh, Third Impact Anime Community, I think that's correct, Austin. So, um, um, I, Discord invites are weird. They're like they've got like numbers and letters and stuff. But you, if you'd like to join our Discord community, just go to thirdimpactanime.com and click the Discord button. That's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and usually I'm there being Mr. Newsman, posting all the news articles, and being uh, too obsessive with. Uh, keeping everyone up to date and uh follow my journey through final fantasy 14 and our usual co-host bias as he is reading through one piece greatest journey ever and uh the final plug is i'm also on letterbox at wb foreman where i'm usually writing um quick movie reviews i've been on a big uh japanese cinema and noir tear as of late Ooh, so you can yeah, you can uh, you can find me there, and I'm usually writing reviews very frequently, <laughs> probably too too frequently, on there. <laughs> uh, so you can find me there, uh, and uh, that is our show. Thank you for uh, checking us out and uh, hearing us ramble and regale about the monkey face thief, Lupin the Third, <laughs> and we'll see you in the next one. <laughs>